Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another amazing Market Impact Insights podcast. Wow, it's December. The year is almost done. Hard to believe. Time is flying by. We're going to finish strong, though, with inspiring and very interesting conversations here over the next few weeks. And today, we're going to look at something I know all of you can relate to, this concept of shifting gears. You know, all of us have reached a point in our personal professional lives where we're maybe inspired. We have an idea. We have a passion. We have a vision to do something totally different, to create something totally different and better. And we're going to talk about a real living example of where this has come to fruition with Jim Liggett. I've known Jim for about 30 years. And the philosophy behind this podcast is in business, it's all about making a positive impact every day. And Jim is a great example of that. Can't wait to jump in and uh, learn from his experiences. Jim is the CEO and founder of Foundation Fitness and Stages Cycling, a leading indoor cycling brand that launched back in 2012. He's an accomplished business leader, Jim served as general manager, vice president of the commercial division at another fitness company, Nautilus. He was the senior VP of business development at Metro One Telecommunications. He served in a variety of sales leadership positions at AT AT&T Wireless and an iconic brand, Procter & Gamble. We're going to get into that a little bit more. He's also a visionary business leader. And one of the things he's really committed to is developing a very healthy culture And this concept that I want to explore a little bit today of building a foundation of excellence. So with that, all the way from Portland, Oregon, also here in the great Pacific Northwest, Jim, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Dan, it is really a pleasure to be a part of this. And uh, here you and I are after all these years. Who would have thought? This is really a treat. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, you know, you and I, we were talking recently, we were going over sharing some interesting parallels, you know, in our careers where we have these common experiences. We both, we met originally, we both worked in the wireless space, we both migrated eventually into fitness. And then, of course, now we're sharing the common experience of being on a podcast together. So it comes full circle. Great to have you on. And I want to start in terms of your story. I want to go back to the beginning of your career. As I mentioned, uh, you started out. Uh, with uh, a global iconic brand, Procter & Gamble, more than 100 years old. And Procter & Gamble has a reputation of just being one of those companies where it is just this awesome training ground, right? For people that go on and uh, bigger, better things, but a great starting point. And I'd love to get your perspective on what some of the most important learning was you gained from working inside of P&G that has made a real difference in your own business success? Right. Well, that's it's a great question. And and Dan, 
I have to say, I think about that question. I think about that experience frequently. Um, the years I spent there, I, I was at I was at PNG for about eight years. Uh, I grew up in the sales organization. I I was lucky enough to spend a year working in Cincinnati on a variety of projects. And like a lot of brand new P&G employees, I went to work there right out of college. Uh, and frankly, I, you know, I really didn't have a clue. I knew that, that P&G was a prestigious company. I felt very fortunate, incredibly fortunate to be able to work there. Uh, but the truth is I really didn't understand what I was about to experience. But I can tell you that after spending eight years there and now all these years later, there really isn't a day that uh, I don't I don't think about some experience there or some situation. Um, it, it really had a huge impact on me then in terms of teaching me about how to manage in a business, how to make decisions, how to market. But I now reflect on a lot of the things I observed in those years, either experienced myself or observed. And there are, there are many things I do today and uh, processes we have in place to manage that reflect a lot of the learning from the P&G days. And I will be forever grateful to that company and in particular, some of the leaders I worked for, many of which, uh, one, one or two in particular, who I'm still in touch with, who are in their they're in their 70s or 80s now, and I, I still talk to them uh, quite regularly uh, about various various topics I'm dealing with. And so that early beginnings of P&G out of school continues to impact me. And my my comment there to other people is it's not just it's not just P&G. I, I think any of these big brand companies that uh, college graduates or MBA graduates can experience. It really can set a great foundation for the future if, if you look at it not only as a place to get a great experience, but a place to learn. Yeah, Jim, I can really relate to that. Of course, the other common experience, we both worked in packaged goods, uh, consumer packaged goods. And you know, my experience was at General Mills, but very similarly. And I think one of the things that even I took away and I'm hearing in your comments is there by by having um, and working with a mature, established brand like that, credible brand, the, the, typically there is this discipline around business process. I mean, that, and that's one of the things that I really appreciated was more of a systemic uh, cultural uh, commitment to um, a, a level of excellence and then uh, investing in, in upholding those standards through the um, enablement, right, uh, oh. and the capabilities in the organization. I, it, probably something you took away as well. Oh, there's no question. And, and I, I uh, if, if my team were listening to this, uh, maybe they will eventually. I, I would say to that point, Dan, that if there's one thing I took away as sort of a day to day thought from that experience, it would have been around the concept of activity based management. And while I thought on the one hand, there were too many processes at times in big companies, processes that I, I didn't think were maybe necessary uh, all the time, there were other processes that I, I could see were just critical to the success of a business. And having a, a daily routine of the way we manage activity as opposed to the way we manage results, if that makes sense. And I, and I don't mean to communicate that 
results like revenue results or sales results, for example, it's not that they don't matter. They are critically important, of course. But but I, I think what I pulled away from that was in the day, in the moment, when you're managing a team in the trenches, what really matters is the activity, whether it's a customer service activity, a marketing activity, a selling activity, a finance activity, all those things can be managed because of or, or tracked and, and expectations set around activity. And frankly, I think that's how you manage uh, excellence is by managing the activity, managing to the activity, not to the result. And that will forever uh, be a, sort of a, a mission critical principle for me in the way I look at managing teams of people. Yeah, that's a huge concept. And speaking of a lot of activity, uh, you jumped in at a time in the wireless space. Uh, we, we kind of referred to it internally as the wild, wild west, right? Yeah. Back during the time when, when everything was really exploding, right? In terms of this, this whole new consumer and business offering in the wireless space, it was intensely competitive. There was just this rapid uh, innovation cycle. Uh, and growth. Uh, what was that like for you to be in the midst of that? Yeah, that Dan, that was wild. I I had spent all those years in a, in a very large, mature company dealing with categories of business that were uh, close to 100% penetrated, you know, toilet paper, paper towels, disposable diapers, you know, really, really uh, well-known categories and brands. And then in one fell swoop, I was working for a company in an industry that was brand new. And that was really appealing to me. It also at the time felt incredibly risky. Uh, I had plenty of people around me that thought, what are you doing? What is this cell phone thing? And is that going to last? I was incredibly um, motivated by this concept of the you know telephone wires being cut a brand new business, um, you know, the excitement around a new category. And I think that was the thing that, that I grew a little bit tired of was the, the, the business categories that were mature looked less interesting to me than, than business categories that were brand new and the, and the idea of building something up. And I think that's, some, that's one thing entrepreneurs should be thinking about is that what, what really motivates you in business and I began to learn then that something smaller, something that needed to be built where you could really roll your sleeves up and get your hands around it. But to call that the wild, wild west, that that was an understatement. I mean, that was a really fun, exciting time. And there was so much growth, but we had no, even then we had no idea what all of that would become. Uh, so in those days, that, that was a very interesting, exciting experience, and it really gave me a great taste of something smaller, even though it wasn't small enough. <laughs> um, but it was a lot smaller than, um, than Procter & Gamble was, that's for certain. Yeah, yeah. And it was also the analogy is um, it, it, it was building a house without the blueprints, right? Because it <laughs> felt at times we were, we were all on site, we were hammering away, but it was almost like, hey, do an occasional check-in to say, okay, do we need to go and kind of add to this uh, this design, this blueprint? Because we really weren't working with anything uh, that was established. Let's face it. it. It was a lot of invention, a lot of uh, uh, hypotheticals, and then just learning, right, through the experience. Well, yeah, you're right, Dan. It was also 
the beginning of a category that was unstoppable, you know, and, and the growth in the business was really incredible. I, I used to remember looking at the daily sales reports in the part of the country where I was. And I thought, how does this keep going like this every single day? And what I didn't realize at the time was it was just, you know, the tip of the iceberg really. But my point is it, you know, in a new business like that, when you've got growth, you can solve a lot of problems. And I think that that made a mark on me as well is that the importance of growth in a new business you know, there's a lot of things that are important and we can talk that we could we could dissect that comment into a lot of different ways. But the the big the big takeaway for me then was if you're going to be involved in a new business, there's a lot of things you got to do with your organization and the way you manage. But finding a, a, a business category that will grow and has a lot of momentum as a category is really an important ingredient. Absolutely. So after benefiting from the experience of working in that kind of evolving, new, exciting space, you, you went on to work for some other established businesses. But I want to change direction here and really get into this idea of the uh, shifting gears. So after that track record, uh, you decided to go a different path, a more entrepreneurial path in starting Foundation Fitness and Stages Cycling. And I really like to explore what what was the inspiration for you? What what really motivated drove yeah. you to go in that direction? Well, you know, a lot of it is uh, sort of a personal um, journey I was on, Dan. I you know, the further I got into my career, I would ask myself questions like, what what do I want my career to be about? You know, career, the, the, the further you get into your career, you realize you don't have that many years to, to make a difference and be productive in your in your various ventures and so forth. And for me, I had a need to experience more than just uh, participating and, be, and being part of something. I really had, uh, as the years went on, a yearning to go a little bit further. So the Macaw Communications was a step in the direction of something brand new or starting something. And then there were a series of uh, uh, two or three companies that were uh, venture funded or private equity funded. And that brought its own uh, new set of dynamics and learnings. And so as the years went on and I, I, I picked up different experiences, worked around a lot of smart people, saw a lot of things. I ended up at Nautilus uh, partially because, well, partially because I, I was uh, looking for a job at the time, but also because it was part of that old, you know, product uh, marketing. Uh, it, it had the look and feel of a of a P and G type environment, and it was in an industry that I was really passionate about uh, in fitness. So, with that as the backdrop. I worked around uh, some really, really great people at Nautilus um, from, from sales to R&D to operations. And everybody was in love with the fitness industry that we were in. And so as I uh, became more involved in that industry, I felt like that the clock was ticking a little bit on if I was going to try one of these myself to, to begin to start a company, 
you know, how many how, how many more years was I, I going to have? Was that window going to be open? So in 2008, 2009, the situation presented itself with the downturn in the economy. And uh, I, I, I really just looked at myself in the mirror and said, well, if I'm going to do this, I better go ahead and do it now. But that wouldn't have happened if I didn't have a couple of things. Um, I had uh, I had a brother who was interested in in supporting the idea of starting a company, and he was at, he was also the co-founder. My brother Scott was the co-founder of Stages Cycling with me. But maybe as important, Dan, I had some relationships from my experiences at Nautilus and other places. Our CFO, for example, and I have worked together for 25 plus years, and he's not only a good friend, but great at what he does. And I had the same situation with people I worked with at Nautilus. So I had really uh, key ingredients. I had really smart people around me who were interested in, in doing something new and starting something. And I had the ability to finance it from the beginning without, without having to give too much away. So it was a combination of things and and none of them were more important than than good friends and really smart people that also wanted to do this because as i learned soon enough uh you can't do it yourself and if anybody thinks they can can be the hero and start a company and have it all be about them that's that's a great sign that they shouldn't do it because uh without the other ingredients it just isn't possible so that that's maybe uh, some of the thinking in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah, and you're so right around uh, not being able to take it all on yourself. And you know, I've had the privilege of speaking with a lot of company founders over the course of this podcast. And a question that I always like to ask Jim is, with the benefit of hindsight, what have been some of the most significant challenges that you've had to overcome you know, <laughs> as you grew that business and and were there any big surprises for you? You know, thinking back to the beginning of what you thought might be the most challenging, did that play out the way you thought no. it would play out or did you learn something new? Uh, great. It's a great question, Dan. I, I would say that, that you know, after 11 years now, we celebrated our 11th year this year or this month in, in November. And I'll come back to 2020 in a minute. But it has gone incredibly fast for us. But it's been overall, I, I would say it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been very rewarding. It's also been really hard, and uh, I've I've learned that without question, there's nothing about starting or running a business uh, that's easy. Uh, you can't take anything for granted, uh, especially customers. And so uh, we have learned along the way that with every risk we've taken and. And we evolved the company. The, the way we started the business is much different than, than what it's become. I mean, we've, we've changed direction while staying focused within the cycling industry several times. And, and what we say about the company today and how we position it today is quite a bit different than it was in 2010 and 2011. So one of the things that I learned through all this was when you start your company, when you start your business, be prepared or actually expect to evolve the mission. And, and as doors open, take advantage of them and let, let the market tell you 
and give you feedback on the direction you should go. And we had several customers along the way that would say to us things like, hey, this is what you ought to be doing, or this is what you ought to be looking at. When we started the business, for example, Dan, we, we never would have thought of ourselves as a software or a technology company. We would have thought of ourselves as a product design company. And now we've created a cloud service called Stages Cloud. I, I don't know that I ever put those two words together until uh, yeah. you know, the last couple of years. So that would be something I would say has been an interesting challenge is to evolve the business, continue to fund innovation, and then the important last one is figure out how to make money uh, and finance the company appropriately. Those things together are not easy. Yeah, most definitely. And of course, the other ingredient with any successful company, and it's talked about even more in this pandemic challenge 2020, is the importance of culture mm -hmm. and creating a healthy culture. And I know that's been something really important to you, the idea of, of really developing a sustainable healthy culture. What's been your approach there? Yeah. Uh, and what's been key for, for you being able to build that? Dan, I'm, I, I'm not on camera here, but I, I smiled when you said, uh, I, I think you call the series Foundation of Excellence or Building a Foundation of Excellence. Yeah. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Well, uh, coincidentally, we have an annual employee recognition program that's called Foundation of Excellence. And we started this, and this is not the only reason, the only cultural thing we've done, but just to give you a flavor, when we started the company 11 years ago, we had, oh, you know, 10 to 20 employees in the first couple of years, and we had two offices, one in Boulder and, and one in Portland. Um, and, and we were worried about a silo building in Portland and a silo in, in Boulder. So we went through a process of creating uh, five company values that we felt like would be values we wanted to build the company around. And we went through a pretty extensive process. We, we picked those words. We, we intentionally didn't pick some other words. And we thought, all right, how do we, how do we want to bring this um, idea of having uh, cultural values, company values to life? So we, we created this award program, rewards program called Foundation of Excellence. And every year, in fact, my call is with all of our employees today to kick it off again. We ask every employee to nominate one person in the company who they feel best exemplified or role modeled our five values. And in about three weeks, we'll have a big award ceremony where we call out uh, the names of four people in the company who their peers believe are the best examples of our company values. And I will tell you that through, through the years, Dan, this has the sort of peer-based uh, uh, awareness of our values and then recognition of those values uh, amongst uh, the employee team has created a lot of energy and recognition as the year goes along to support those five values. And so that's, that's one example of, of what we've tried to do, which is to, to hire and give the reins of the various departments to really good, smart people, to really encourage them to manage activity, and then to drive our values, our stated values into the organization and 
look for winners, you know, look for the best of the best. And we hold that up once a year, which, which will be at the end of um, December. And I really feel like that has helped give everybody an anchor, especially as we hire. You know, we, we now have 150 people in the company and they come into the company. We're all now working from home, except for our incredible production team and, and mm-hmm. manufacturing team in Boulder. And so having these values gives everybody something to fall back on and say, how should I behave? How am I expected to act? If I have to make a decision, how should I think about that? Uh, and so forth. Yeah, yeah, that's a great example. Of course, peer recognition is so powerful uh, as well. And I was doing research on stages, Jim, and I, I came across those values, intelligence, creativity, listening, boy, that's a big one, passion and agility. And that's just right. having, that clar- having that clarity that gets reinforced, right? And then recognized, uh, boy, that is really, really uh, critical. Yeah, yeah. So that that was a, you know, again, it, we, we started that, we, we created those values for one reason, and that was we wanted to have a, a foundation. You know, we wanted to say, this is how we want you to be. This is, this is the type of company we want. You know, we wanted to do things that reflected our passion and agility to our customers. You know, we have a belief that without customers, we have nothing. And um, in, in, my, in our industry, Dan, in, in the fitness industry, I'm a relatively small player. When you think about the, the big companies that are really, really good at what they do that we compete with, you know, the, you came from Precore. That's a good example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, Technogym internationally and Life Fitness, you know, they're, they're all very big. They're, they're much bigger than we are. And they have far more resources than we have. So we have to be really, really good at what we do and really focused. So we've become this successful business, I believe, partially because we have a focus and we expect everybody to go above and beyond and do it better than anybody else. But we also have tried to create this culture that makes us better. And it makes us better, I think, in large part because our employees feel a sense of pride and they feel a sense of ownership because they really make a difference. And I think when you're starting a company, I mean, who doesn't start a company where they compete against bigger companies? It actually can be a great opportunity, but you have to you have to create the right mindset, and the right culture to compete against companies that are much, much bigger. Yeah, absolutely. And what's also really commendable, you talk about focus. And I think one of the biggest pitfalls of uh, you know early stage businesses is this temptation, especially if you're competing with bigger uh, broader uh, brands, right, is to try to do more and to try to be everything to everyone. And sometimes the better path to success is remaining sharply focused around doing one or a couple of things really, really well. Right. And staying within those lanes. That's right. That's a, that's exactly what uh, we chose to do, partially because we could see that our our competition was trying to do a lot of different things and they had limited resource and they were spreading their investment dollars for innovation across a wide range of categories of products. We were focused on one category. So it gave us the opportunity and, and thankfully we have a team of engineers uh, and R&D people who are, are terrific and, and they know the fitness industry, they know cycling 
they have a, a terrific leader uh, uh, who's on our executive team, and uh, it, it gave us the opportunity, Dan, to say, "All right, we're not going to we're not going to spread ourselves too thin, but we have to do things that are better." And I think that's a key to being successful when you start a new business is finding a way to focus and finding a way to be better. And that may be something different at different times. It could be a service focus or it could be a product focus. But I really think the, the, the role of that, the leader in the business is to identify what that is and then put your teams to work. It also uh, plays well with sources of capital, which is the other thing, you know, that has been something I've learned a lot more about in the last 11 years than I ever knew before, which was the importance of, um, you know, keeping cash in the business. Uh, liquidity is crucially important. And, it's, and that is a much different question than being profitable. And uh, I, I've had to learn that through plenty of uh, challenges. Um so that, yeah. that's, that's been important too. Yeah. Yeah. And and you talked about, you know, getting to the point, you know, you develop the strategy, you establish the focus, you've got the cultural foundation, and then you put the teams to work. And when the teams go to work, process and analytics, obviously, are really important, you know, to evaluate the right. results you're getting from putting the teams to work. But you also talked about how uh, you've had to go through this evolution in terms of almost a redefining what your company is, right, in terms of technology right. and, and the innovation. So so how has that technology lens, that shift to that new lens, how has that really played out in terms of helping you achieve your strategic objectives? Yeah, well, it's been it's been really interesting. Uh, Dan, we, we've watched through the last 10 years technology evolve within a fitness club or a studio or a facility but we also watched as the consumer market changed in terms of the, the consumer appetite for metrics. You know, initially it was the, uh, the, you know, all the demand around fitness tracking, Fitbit, the Apple Watch, you know, all of these uh, consumer products that were oriented to measuring and tracking activity. Uh, that then evolved into the emergence of digital platforms, which uh, were created to allow the consumer to access really relevant content uh, in their home. And so we have watched a, a complete evolution. We, I, I would have told you 10 or 11 years ago that there was a clear line of uh, demarcation between fitness in the home and fitness in a facility, that the two really weren't that complementary. And in fact, they were thought of in the marketplace as, as almost being um, competitive. And that, that may, may, may not be the right word, but, but it, it certainly wasn't seen as the same ecosystem, if you will. Now what we've seen is, an, is a, 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 the emergence of a hybrid model, which demands, frankly, that the consumer uh, is seeking to exercise, ride a bike, work out, whatever that activity might be in a variety of locations that could be in, a, in their home. It could be on vacation. It can be on a business trip. It can be in their beloved home facility. And so the technology that's evolved has had to adapt to the consumer. And so we, ma we made the decision that that 
rather than outsource all these technology pieces, we, we felt to be relevant and grow into the future that it would be important to adapt our model, to invest in a digital strategy and a digital platform that would allow us to address that market um, and address the consumer need, but primarily through our commercial business partners. And the one thing that's different about us, Dan, uh, among other things, is we've chosen to partner with our, our very important fitness uh, club and studio fitness facility customers to help them address their consumer. And we have a belief that it's about it's about their brand, not our brand. And, and if we do a good job with our customers, our brand will grow and thrive. And but back to your question, uh, again, even to the beginning of this podcast is we didn't we certainly didn't see all that on the horizon 11 years ago. But we had a we had a mentality that we needed to size it up as it went, and adapt and evolve and and the continuous risk taking in terms of uh, uh, reinventing the business plan. And I would say uh, to this point that that served us pretty well. But it never stops. It's not it's not as though we've come to the finish line on that one. Yeah, and you know you talk about this uh, joint journey that you're on with your customers. And we're talking here in 2020 in the midst of uh, unprecedented uh, disruption uh, with the pandemic. It's impacted a number of industries. Certainly, it's impacted the commercial uh, fitness space, right? And I'm curious, uh, you've had to navigate as a leader of an organization competing in that space, navigate through these uncharted waters. Um, I'm curious, what adjustments have, have you made? And do you see some of the changes that have evolved through the pandemic, do you see those really staying with us as almost establishing a new normal? Yeah, well, you're right. I mean, it, it's been, uh, you know, in, in March and April, we were really worried about the business, primarily because the, the fitness club and studio industry, well, any facility where people were gathering was closing. And at that time, the, you know, the fitness club, uh, and commercial piece of that of our business uh, was substantial, and it is substantial. So it was interesting in those in those day early days with COVID to see how was the fitness industry going to adapt and adjust because you know it's you think you have control of these things but you really don't, and it it really became a matter of what's the consumer what will consumer behavior be in this new world. Uh, of COVID. And we watched that evolve. We watched the, um, the boom in home fitness take shape. And I should say, Dan, that it's not as if home fitness was a new idea uh, until this year. Home fitness has always been around. It actually was growing uh, prior to COVID. And there, there are several companies that, that I could highlight, uh, but I, 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 I'd rather not talk about them. Um, <laughs> yeah. But home fitness and and technology was already uh, gaining momentum. What I would say that has changed and what has caused companies like mine uh, to need to adapt is that the the fitness club industry needed to make a decision on how are they going to partner and marry up with these evolving consumer habits. And what we're seeing around the world, not just in the U.S., but literally in all corners, 
of the world is a, uh, a rapid movement of the fitness club industry to become relevant to their members and to other consumers in their homes or wherever they might be. It doesn't have to just be in, in, in the home. And I think that was, that was a development that, to your question, is speaking volumes about where is the future going in these categories. I think this, these days of, of uh, separation between commercial and consumer um, are gone. I think that will always, going forward, we believe that, that the home consumer will be the fitness club and studio consumer, but they may not be able to attend uh, or, or you know, check into their club every day. They, they want to do things at home or they want to do things outside. And, and we, see the, we see that as, as well from cyclists. Cyclists want to be outside just like runners mm-hmm. want to be outside. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, digital content, digital platforms and relevant content uh, really are driving the experience. You've got to have the good, the good uh, modality, whether it's a bike or another piece of equipment. But... The, the big change in the last few years has been the ability to access really relevant content for that experience when you're outside of a facility. Yeah. And Jim, I you know earlier you mentioned that your team is now working in a more remote uh, work environment. I'm curious, how has that played out? Have, have there been some learnings about uh, just having to go through that and not being physically co-located? Yeah, you know, it's it it really has been interesting, Dan. I we're we're going on a year now. It's been nine months now that that the vast majority of our employees, and I, I will say we've got we've got a forty or fifty manufacturing employees who are just absolute warriors showing up at work, and we're doing everything we can to make everybody safe every day. But we have so many people at home now that it's made. Uh, I, I think the way we think about the office or the way, the way we think about work teams is much different. I'm not completely comfortable with all of it. I'm still from the world of, I like to see people and I like to sit in a room with them and talk with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we just haven't been able to do that. <clears throat> I've been really, really impressed with how well everybody's adapted and how well everybody works remotely. Um but I'll be honest, I mean, I, it's a question in my mind about what's that going to look like in the future? I, I've read with interest some of the larger technology companies that are saying they're going to stay home through the yeah. end of next year. <clears throat> and I, I don't know. I, I still think that people being together, you know, maybe it'll be a hybrid type of a s- situation. Maybe our offices will look different, but I still think there needs to be that group that group environment working together. There's, there's a lot of reasons why people working at home over time may not be the best thing for them or their families. Um, so I don't know. I, I think that's an interesting one. I think people have been great about making it work for now, but I, I think the jury's out a little bit on how is that, how is that going to work into the future? I think you're right. It, we're, we're seeing more and more, I guess, call them case study examples and, and some decisions that are being made, um, you know, based on the experience. But, you know, to some extent, I, I, I do think um, it, it the success of a remote model, uh, it ties back to everything in terms of culture. It, it ties back in terms of how a company has kind of enabled its uh, employees to function 
right? Using different um, forms of uh, communication, digital tools. So um, I think it's still a story to be told. It's still playing out, but it's a, a very uh, interesting question. And yeah. Jim, as, Jim, as we start winding up our conversation, do you have any final advice for business leaders or entrepreneurs? They're thinking right now, sitting back, they're thinking about uh, their strategies and and what they can do to ensure long-term success. Any any final words you'd have for them? Yeah, the, you know, I've had uh, some dinners and interactions with, with younger um, people about starting companies and, and getting something off the ground. And, you know, I think... One thing, a couple things I tell them, and one, I didn't start mine until I was 47. So typically you think of people much younger doing doing what, what I did. And in those years, I in those much younger years, I wouldn't have had the wherewithal to even know how to get one started. And so what really mattered to me through the years that I think is important um, advice for people is that forming relationships, forming contacts, and maintaining them through the years. I mean, if I, I look at the, the first 20 or 30 people we hired in, in the company, uh, most of them were people that, that I knew or I worked with or I had a lot of respect for. Uh, our executive team is entirely made up of relationships with people that I had through the years that that were very, very skilled and great leaders in, in their particular areas of discipline better than I was, for sure. And so I think having time to, to develop resources and experience uh, business, bigger, bigger experiences in terms of bigger companies is, is really a good thing to do. And the last thing I'd say there, Dan, is really understanding the industry that you're in um, I, I, I would say that uh, new company companies that get started in industries or categories that that the entrepreneur doesn't understand or doesn't have experience in is a big red flag. Um, so it's you know it's about people and experience and knowledge, and then focus. And then I guess just you know I don't know how you measure tolerance for risk. Uh, we never we never considered failure an option, and and we never will. But I think you've got to have a stomach for the ups and downs because it is a it is a constant journey of solving problems like any business. But in a new company, there are some uh, there's some obviously some some issues to avoid and problems to solve all the way through. Yeah, I think they call that the continuous roller coaster ride. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> it adds up to a lot of fun, but but I think having a great team around you like like I've had makes solving those problems a lot easier. And my, you know, as I mentioned, my my brother who has been so supportive in in uh, you know behind the scenes and and helping me get the business capitalized um, is also crucial because that. That old adage is if when you run out of when you run out of cash, you've got big problems is certainly the case as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, great advice. And Jim, great conversation. Uh, really, really interesting. And uh, just the breadth of experiences that you've had. Um, really fascinating to uh, see how that's all played out and really paving the road for future success. So, Jim, thanks again for coming on and sharing your thoughts. Great to talk to you, Dan. I appreciate it.
Thanks for talking to me. And a request for all of you, if you enjoyed the podcast, please make sure to go out and rate and review. It's really easy to do. You go out to Apple Podcasts and share the feedback. We take that really seriously. So thank you for doing that. And also a reminder to make sure to go out and check out marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.